Well, this is the second week of a summer-long series titled Love One Another. And the reason that we're going to spend so much time on this topic has something to do with something Jesus said on the last night that he was with his disciples. After making everybody in the room uncomfortable by getting down on his knees and washing their feet, Jesus said to them this, a new command I give you. Now, if you're somebody who thinks that they have a lot of rules that you're required to follow, it is unlikely you had more rules to follow than the men and women in the room on that night. Because they grew up in the Jewish faith, and they would have learned not just the Ten Commandments, but the 613 commandments that you can find in the Torah or the Old Testament. But this wasn't commandment number 614. Rather, this new commandment, Jesus would give to his disciples would be the one thing that the disciples would need to follow in order to be called Jesus followers. And it's the one thing that we today, that if we want to be followers of Jesus, must follow. And it is this, love one another. And you might think like I think, which is this is not all that original. I mean, every world religion, every good parent says that we should love one another. But here's the thing. You have a definition of love, and you have a definition of love, and I have a definition of love, and maybe they're the same, or maybe they're wildly different. But when Jesus said we're to love one another, he said that we are to love as he loved. That he defines what it means to love someone. And by this by loving in the way that Jesus loved, that's how everyone will know that we're his disciples. It's the one thing. It's the new commandment, the thing that covers over everything else. And so we, as Christians, are to love one another like Jesus loved, and so we're going to spend the entire summer trying to get better at this because this is the essential thing for us as followers of Jesus. And you might ask the question, how do I know how Jesus loved? Well, you're in luck. Go home, grab your Bibles and dust off the dust and open them up and about two-thirds of the way through you'll find the New Testament. And at the beginning of the New Testament are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those accounts you can find all sorts of scenarios that give you an idea of how Jesus loved other people. There's one disciple who calls himself the beloved disciple. He's got a little bit of a pride issue. And he has this summary of the way in which Jesus loved at the beginning of his account of the life of Jesus. He says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus loved with 100% grace and 100% truth. It wasn't 50-50, it wasn't 60-40. When Jesus loved people, it was 100% to the brim grace and truth. John, who had several decades to reflect on the power of Jesus' love, what it meant to his own life and the community around him, he made this very famous statement that embodies this kind of love that has grace and truth. First, the grace part. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We know what grace is. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor. If you earn it or buy it or do anything to gain it, it's not grace. And John says that God, through Jesus, he's given us something that we couldn't get for ourselves, an ultimate sacrifice 
100% grace. But it's also 100% truth, and here's the truth part, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the truth is, is that there is something at risk here, that our lives can go down a path of destruction. And you don't need anybody to tell you that. That's not a, a church thing, a religious thing. You just look at the world, and people end up in destructive places because the world and you and I, we all have a sin problem. And you might not like the word sin, but I beg you to get over it because it's an incredibly helpful word, especially if you understand it in the way that the New Testament authors understood it. The Greek word for sin comes from archery. It means to miss the target. And I don't know the specifics of your lives, but I would wager that sometimes you miss the target. Sometimes you say something that you know you shouldn't have said. Sometimes you do something that you know you shouldn't do. Or sometimes you leave undone something that needed to be done. Sometimes in your life, you miss the target, and so do I. And it can leave us in a place we don't want to be. And sometimes the people around you, they miss the target over and over again as if there's something deep within them that causes them to do that thing time and time again. And we're called to love one another. We're called to be loved with 100% truth about what's going on, but also 100% grace. So this leads us into a tool that we're using through the summer called the Enneagram. The origins of the Enneagram are really unknown. It's thought to go back at least 1,000 years. But the reason that I want to teach you all about the Enneagram has nothing to do with this history. I want to teach it to all of you because I found it to be helpful. I first learned it seven years ago. And every time I come back to it, I learn something. And it is deep and it is insightful. And for some people, it's like Whitney's experience where when you learn your type, it's automatically, that's me. Others of us, we read it and we go, am I really that? And then you read deeper and deeper and you go, oh, I have uncovered something about myself I really didn't want to know. In terms of the message today and going forward, I'm going to talk about two things. Whitney actually mentioned them. The first thing is our root sin. And if you are the same type as me, like Adam over there, then we got the same sin going on. But if you're a different type, say you're a seven or you're a nine, your root sin is different from me, but we both have one. And it's called the root sin because it's kind of under the surface. A lot of times you wouldn't see it right away. It's not the one that you would pick for yourself. You gotta go a little bit deeper to understand it. But that's why it's so powerful. When it remains hidden, the destructive things in our lives work on us. And so as Christian people, because we're loved by Jesus, we have 100% grace, which gives us the confidence to be 100% truthful and to really look at what's going on. And the purpose of this message and going down this road is not to make us all feel bad. And if you're a two today, hang in there because next week I'm going to pick on Adam and myself because we're both threes. And everybody will get a turn. But it's all for the purpose of being able to discover and claim our fruit of the Spirit. Because just like me, you're hardwired in a certain way, at least this is the theory of the Enneagram, to have this continual issue that if you don't uncover it, it will mess with you. But you also have a unique fruit of the Spirit, and you can be a blessing in the world. And so today we're dealing with twos, 
as you already know. And let me give you a description of twos before we dive in deep. Twos employ their gifts for the needs of others. They impart a measure of acceptance and appreciation that can help others to believe in their own value. If you have a relatively healthy two in your life, you are blessed. Because not only will they help you with some of the tangible things of your life, they tend to lean into your life in such a way that you discover and are affirmed and your very value as a human being. Twos are wonderful people. Steve's a two. Father Ryan's a two. Sarah Conklin's a two. People that give in amazing ways. Twos are wonderful people. But twos, like all the rest of us, they have a root sin. And so I want to take us to the scripture, the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 10. And we're going to look at a classic two to begin to discover how the root sin plays out in a two's life. And dealing with that root sin, we also can find the fruit of the Spirit. Luke tells us that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, I always think, is Jesus traveling alone or does he have other people with him? He does have disciples. How many disciples does he have? Twelve, right? Is that all he has with them? Well, if we go back just two chapters, Luke gives us a description of the crew that Jesus is going around with. He says that Jesus traveled from one town and village to another. The twelve were with him and also some women and many others. So we got Jesus plus the twelve, that's thirteen. We got some women, we don't know how many, but he names three. It's Susanna, Joanna, and Mary the Tower Magdalene. So we got at least those three, so that's 16. And then we have many others, which left me with this burning question this week. How many is many? Have you ever asked that question? Don't ask that question. You'll go down a rabbit hole, which I did. I'm confident that it is six or more people. Here's why. A couple has two, a few has three, several is four, a handful is five, and six is many or more. That's not the correct answer for the LSAT, which I looked at, but I like that answer the best. Add it all together, Jesus rolled at least 21 deep. (laughs) So Martha opens her home to Jesus and his crew of 21 plus, but she's a two. And here's something you need to know about a two before we go forward. Twos struggle to keep appropriate boundaries when it comes to their generosity. This is one of the lovely things about twos. At a two's house, there's always room at the table. But because there's always room at the table, sometimes they run out of food and sometimes they run out of steam. And boundaries are incredibly important for twos and for all of us. Because without boundaries, and you know this, we can easily fall into bitterness. It's easy to become bitter, to feel like you've been taken advantage of. And there's people in this world, and I'm kind of one of those people, if somebody's willing to help, I'll just take the help. Endlessly. Right, Steve? Endlessly. And that can lead to bitterness if we're not careful. And so here Martha is, and Jesus has just rolled up 21 deep, and she's trying to provide food or refreshments, I don't know, but she's trying to provide hospitality for everyone, and she's all alone, except for Luke tells us that she has a sister, Mary. She's got some help, except for Mary 
She's not a two. We think she might be a four. We'll talk about her in a few weeks. And guess what Mary's doing? She's sitting down, listening to what the Lord had said. But Martha, she was distracted with all the preparations that had to be made. Now, nowhere in the story does it say that Jesus showed up and said, will you provide refreshments for my people, for my small gathering of at least 21? He might have asked her. It was just left out. But if you know a two or if you are a two, oftentimes there's something within you that just feels, hey, it has to be done. They need to be fed. They need water because you're a two. You're a giver. You're wonderful in that way. Plus, in most cultures, especially male-dominated cultures, women are expected to serve. This is why you find that most twos are women, not all twos. In fact, we'll talk about a male two at the end. But there's a cultural expectation. So Martha's got to kind of double on the feeling that she's got to do something. Now, look at her response, right? She, she decided to serve, didn't have the boundaries because twos struggle with that. Twos can be very good at having boundaries, but it is a struggle for them, especially when it comes to their wonderful generosity. So it looks like she's become overloaded at this point, and she comes up to Jesus, who's got a gathering of 21 plus, well, with Mary, the stinking sister that's doing nothing. She's got 22, and he's teaching, and Martha comes up and interrupts him and says, Lord, don't you care? I mean, I've heard about how you cared for everybody else, how you're so loving and everything, but don't you care in this moment that my sister, who's always so lazy, my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And this leads us to two warning signs that the root sin of the two is beginning to take hold of their heart. The first warning sign is when they're ashamed of their own needs. Because you see, twos, again, are so wonderful. They're so capable of meeting everybody's needs. It's truly an amazing thing. But when it comes to their own needs, it's hard for a two, especially as they're becoming less healthy, to advocate for them. And if they keep going down that road, eventually a two will begin to assign blame to a scapegoat. My sister Mary, tell her to do something. But we haven't gotten to the root sin of a two, but what she says next, Martha says next to Jesus, reveals it, I think, quite openly. She says, tell her to help me. This is Jesus she's talking to, right? He's teaching 22 people. She's invited him into her home, yet she is interrupting the teaching because his agenda is not aligning with her agenda. And she wants to help, and now Jesus needs to serve her. And this gets to the root sin, which is pride. Pride says, my agenda is more important than everybody else's. And this is the difficult thing. It's the root sin, because the twos are helpers. They're helping everybody else. How could this be the case? But down deep, it's about the motivation. And she wants to help Jesus but her helping has become less about Jesus in this moment and more about herself. In fact, one of the books that I read said that prideful twos don't need God. God needs them. 
when they've gotten really unhealthy, a two begins to think that God needs them more than they need God, which is what makes it hard for an unhealthy two to have a close relationship with God. Every type has their issue. This is the issue for twos. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, and I want to hear grace in his voice here. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things because you do many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And your sister, she's chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. I shared this with the two, and that two told me that that offended the heck out of her. (laughs) But Jesus is saying, look, sometimes all the things that you're doing, sometimes they're not as necessary as this one thing. Now, John, who for reasons we'll talk about later is sympathetic for Martha, he has another story about Martha. And the story comes on the heels of their brother. Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus, and Lazarus has passed away, and Jesus is late showing up. And we're told that many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This is a good sign for Martha. She's allowing somebody to attend to her needs. She hears that Jesus has come. She runs out to greet him, and she says, if you had been here, you could have saved him. And Jesus replies, your brother is not going to remain dead. And she says, I know at the resurrection, he'll become alive again. And then Jesus says something to her that every two needs to hear. Something I think we all need to hear. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. New life, the possibility to have a renewed spirit, a new chance on things, it comes through knowing me. And how to live a full life, it comes through knowing me. First and foremost, because you have your way of thinking and I have my way of thinking, we all have our preferred view, but Jesus is calling us to something different. The one who believes in me will live. Even though they die, whoever lives by believing in me, will never die. There's something transformative about beginning to see the world in the way that Jesus saw the world, to expand our viewpoint. And then he asked her the question that I think we all need to answer, but for a two, this is so important, especially when they're stuck in their pride. Do you believe this? You're so good at helping. You're so good at making a difference. You're such a giver. You're such an amazing lover. You're such an amazing person. But do you believe that there's something bigger than you, something that you indeed need? Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And this right here is a statement of humility. When a two is lost in their pride, they begin to have a a Messiah complex. That's the pride speaking out. Nobody can help but me. Nobody knows how deep my love goes. 
But the way to get out of that is a statement of humility. There is something greater than me. There is boundaries I need to abide by. Some people, in fact, don't need my help. Sometimes my help is given in a way that is not wanted. The humility is the thing that unleashes the power of the two to be effective in the world. And Martha, in that moment, she has her heart healed by confessing that Jesus is Lord, that she is dependent on him. Now, the sympathetic story is written by the beloved disciple, John, who also likely wrote four other books in our New Testament, first, second, and third John, and we think that perhaps he is the author of the letter titled Revelation. In 1 John chapter 4, there's this amazing depiction of love, the love of God, the love of Jesus, how it's all to go down, and in that, John is going to say some things to you twos, and I think John is a two, that will help you move from your root sin to the fruit of your spirit. And he's also going to say something for the rest of us, if we want to love a two, if we have twos in our lives, that will help us meet them where they are and love them. So here's the truth first. John says this. We love because God first loved us. Your love is amazing. But never forget where your capacity for love comes from. And if you move into loving out of obligation, you've moved away from the proper motivation because we are to love out of a sense of gratitude for what we've been given by God. We love because God first loved us. Those of us who are looking to love twos, our role is to give an affirmation is to tell the twos that we know that despite their ability to give and help and all that wonderful stuff, that even without that, they are loved. That even if they gave not another thing, that they would be valued, that they would be loved, that it's unconditional love is not based on their capacity to give and help. It's just based on whose they are, God's beloved daughters and sons. Next is the grace and John, who's also a two, speaks this. He says, when whoever lives in love lives in God. You see, when you're actually functioning out of the proper motivation, a sense of gratitude for what is given to you, not trying to people please, not feeling obligated, but just giving because that is something you're hardwired to do, it is truly the love of God flowing through you. And those of us in the room that have had the privilege to be loved by a two who's doing it for the right motivations, we know it is a divine love. It is truly amazing. And so for those of us that are looking to love like Jesus, we need to appreciate the love of a two. Just appreciate it. Say, I see what you're doing. I know you could give endlessly, but I also know you have boundaries and limits, and so you're loved unconditionally. That's affirmation, and I appreciate what you're doing. It makes such a difference in the world. It is the very love of God flowing through you. John tells us this. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's 100% grace. It's given to all of us, twos, threes, fives, sevens, ones, all of us on the spectrum. We've been given this gift of grace so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the truth. That when we don't deal with our root sin, whatever it might be, the thing that makes us miss the mark, that somehow that leads to destruction. But if we can actually have the courage to confront it, dig into it, learn about it as we have today with the twos, then on the other side of that is not just good living, but it's like the twos. It's the eternal life begins to flow through our temporal lives. It's really beautiful. God made each and every one of us in a unique way with absolute capacity to reflect his love in this world. And all summer long, we're going to be working hard together to become better to love one another like Jesus loved. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the twos among us, these wonderful helpers and givers who through their actions and their words and their presence, they show us you. They show us your unconditional love. They show us your care and concern for us. So we pray for those among us that are twos that they would have the courage to dig deep into their root sin, to deal with it, knowing that on the other side of it is the fruit of your spirit. And that in all that they do and all that they don't do, whatever the case may be, that they're 100% loved by you. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who shows us who you are. In Christ's name, amen.